Today, we're in the final book of the Apostle Paul. It's 2 Timothy in the fourth chapter. I would invite you to find that place in your Bible, as I want to talk about three simple words. You'll find those words in verse 21, come before winter. As the Apostle Paul closed this final letter, you can hear his urgency. His urgency, it stands out. Timothy, do thy diligence to come shortly to me. Verse 9. Do thy diligence to come before winter. Verse 21. And then the apostle said to Timothy, he said, when you get here on your way, bring the cloak that I left at, Car at Troas with Carpus. And when thou comest, bring it with thee and the books, but especially the parchments. That's verse 13. The cloak that he mentions here was to take care of his physical needs. The apostle at that time was in a Roman dungeon called the Mamertine prison. It's just outside the edge of Rome. It's about uh, 10 feet underground, and it's a dingy place even today. And back in those days, it was a terribly humid and dingy place, sometimes in a spot maybe the size of this platform, as many as 20 death row prisoners were waiting in there to die with no food and no restroom except a stream at the back, that underground stream that ran through there. And Paul is saying, bring the coat because it's damp in here and it's cold in here. But the books were for Paul's intellectual side of life. He needed to study. He needed to read the word of God. He needed to hear what God had to say on the subject. So he said, bring the books. And the parchment refers to the scriptures and the spiritual side of him. Also the word of God, not just regular books, but the word of God. And Timothy, when you come, come to see me because I have, a, I have an emotional side. This, this great apostle Paul, as much of a leaner upon God and a truster of God as he was, he needed friends. He needed people in his life, people he could talk to. So you come, Timothy. He wanted to see this young protege. We all have a social side. Every one of us needs people. Every one of us needs friends in our lives. And we ought to cultivate those and try and be a friend. If you're going to have friends, you have to be a friend, as you know. We all have a social side. And Paul, therefore, says, Timothy, come and come before winter. There were good reasons why he would say to Timothy, you need to come before winter. The Mediterranean, and you know that Italy is on the Mediterranean, is where a lot of places around where Paul was. The Mediterranean was a very dangerous place, especially during winter. You may not realize that the Mediterranean Sea from the Straits of Gibraltar all the way to Israel on the eastern end is about 2,000 miles long. And from North Africa up to Italy and some of those places, uh, several hundreds of miles up through there. So it's a large body of water. And especially during the winter, it would be very, uh, very prone to storms, very high waves, and ships would sink out there, especially the little ships like they had. I mean, had, if a ship was 50 or 60 feet in those days, it was large. It was huge. Most of the ships were smaller, much smaller than that. It was so bad, in fact, on the Mediterranean Sea that during winter, when it began, they would actually close most of the harbors to the, to the places where ships could get in out of this bad weather. So, Timothy, if you don't come before winter, you will not be able to get here. You're going to have to leave pretty quick, or you're, not going to have to, you're going to have to wait a while. It, it'll be another winter next year before you'll be able to come. Furthermore, Paul knew that his time was almost over. 
He'd already recognized it. He comes to, come to grips with the fact that he said in verse 6, my departure is at hand. He's faced the fact of death. That's a hard thing for most of us to face. I look at people like Randy Cook, who is facing death in the very near future. And he's dealing with it, and it's hard. It's a big struggle. And I've seen lots and lots of people who would talk about how they wanted to be so good and serve the Lord so well to the very end. But when the very end came and they could see the end coming, many of them had a real struggle with that. The Apostle Paul here is saying, my departure is at hand. He's faced up to that. And he says, Timothy, if you wait, you do not come. I won't be here when you get here. If you wait till next year, the odds are that I won't be here next year when you come. So you need to come now. If Timothy went now, he could likely make it in time to see his mentor, who was the Apostle Paul. I think that if he went now, he could be there perhaps when Paul was beheaded. And he was beheaded for the very uh, stand he took on Christianity. And Paul is saying, I'd like for you to be here. I don't want to particularly be alone when this event occurs. So he's saying, Timothy, hurry. I would like for you to be here when my head rolls off. And when my spirit goes to be with the Lord, Timothy, come before winter. He said also, if he delayed, Timothy delayed to attend perhaps uh, church matters. And we as pastors always have church matters. In fact, more than most people realize the things are on our hearts and minds that pastors know that always share. They really can't share. But if Timothy delayed to attend matters, maybe visit some people like at Ephesus on the way over there, then he'd arrive at the harbor to find it closed. Next spring, he'd get to Rome and look for the Apostle Paul, probably would go down to some, the prison itself and ask for Paul, and the prison guard would say, there's nobody here by that name, nobody named Paul in this place. He'd go to Aquila and Priscilla. They would have to tell him that Paul was beheaded last December, and he's not around anymore, and he went away with no one at his side. We don't know how it ended, how the Apostle Paul went. We know that he was beheaded. We just don't know exactly the circumstances and all the detail about it. But the fact is that um, we like to think Timothy was there. I don't know that he made this trip. I don't know that he was able to answer this call from the Apostle and say, come and come now and come before winter. But hopefully he did and was there when the Apostle Paul went into the presence of the Lord in those last desperate moments, and he was glad these three simple words, come before winter, an urgency there. It's needed now, Timothy. You need to act while you can, while the opportunity of the door is still open. These three words, I think, speak of life's brevity. Just how quickly we get through here. Even a long life is a short time. At the very best, we are just creatures passing through here for a short season. And I think about the seasons of life, the seasons of life, about the spring of our lives. You crawl and you walk and then you get up and run and sprint and you're playing in school and everything seems to be a wonder. Always new toys, always new things, always new discoveries, always new things to learn. Childhood. It's really an exciting time, isn't it? For kids to grow up with all the falls and all the bumps and all the head knocks and whatever happened, it's still a great time when you're a little kid and everything's fresh and everything's new. The spring of life. And then before you know it, you're graduating. And you're into a summer of your life. 
you're in youth, you get into college and into courting, and you just can't wait to do it on your own. Yep, you want your own car, you want your own family, you want your own things, and time seems to go by along there fairly slowly for most people. But you look up and realize that I'm an adult. Somehow it got here really quickly. I'm an adult now, and you're married, and you have your own business, and your own family. There are children. There are responsibilities. There are bills to pay. There are duties to do. Somehow fall has arrived in your life, and it just snuck up on you. You have a hard time realizing that you're already in the fall of your life, that the spring is gone and summer's gone. Now you are in the fall of your life. And then it's winter, old age. The head's gray. You don't hear very well anymore. You don't walk very steady anymore. And you can't do things you used to do that you think you'd still like to do and want to do. You're spending more and more time at a doctor's office and taking more and more medicines. And one day you look in the mirror and you see your daddy or your mother. And you realize it's winter for me. This thing's about over. I've gone through this thing called life. I look at my own life, my own seasons of life. And they seem to me like a short movie. I'm telling you, I look at my own life and Margaret's and, and how quickly it has gone by. It seems only yesterday that I was going to a little two-room school eight miles outside of Lufkin, Texas in a little community called Fairview. Seventh, first through the seventh grade, all went to one little two-room school, first through the fourth and here, and then the fifth, sixth, and seventh over here, and then we went to Lufkin on up to the big city after we got out of a little grammar school down there. I can remember very fondly of my first grade teacher, Miss LaRue Everett. And then we got out of there and went into Mr. Modison, Dave Modison. He was the teacher of that older bunch of us. Just a kind-hearted old guy. And, man, us country kids would give him such a fit. Yep. Uh, went squirrel hunting with my brother and my dad down in the Nature's River Bottom and did a little deer hunting over in the Trinity River Bottom during those days. Graduated from Lufkin High School. And suddenly, suddenly, Mom was dead. Car wreck took her. I was 16, and I'm out. she's out of here, and I don't have Mom anymore. And Dad's down three major, major brain injury, and he was just down two or three years, had to have a guardian, and so I'm out here. I'm just out here. And I'm starting an SFA, Stephen F. Austin, over at Nacogdoches. And somehow I became smitten with a young lady named Margaret McDuffie. And I couldn't hardly see anything around besides just her and how in love we seemed to be. And then we married, and we were on our own. Mom's gone. Dad's not able and so here we are. She had a family that was not real functional, so here we are, just us. And we didn't think we needed anybody. We could just take on the world, and we were trying. I'm telling you, we just tried hard, and we were just going along and enjoying our lives and, and taking camping in tents. Would you believe we actually went and slept on the ground in tents back in those days? <laughs> yeah, she and me, we don't think about it anymore, but we did then. And like I said, we didn't think we need anybody, but before we knew it, we were at a little church in Beaumont, Texas called the 11th Street Baptist Church. 
And I was pastor there, and I was just eager as I could be to win people to the Lord and just do what I could. And then came along a little boy called Mark, and then about four years later, another little boy called Clint, and then a couple of years later came a little girl named Dina, and here we are in our lives, already getting into the fall of our lives, and I was at Beaumont for 12 years, and then I'm over at Berean Baptist Church in Houston. Just busy as I can be over there. We're building buildings, running youth camps, writing books, going on missionary trips, preaching all over the country. And then I look up, and all that's behind me, and here I am in the winter of my own life. And it just came around. You know, the years have taken their toll, and I look around me and realize, and how for a good while, it's time for me to move over and let a young man like a Darren come in here and take charge because you need somebody who can lead you, a young man. And I look back on life and I realize how urgent it is. As we're floating along, it may not seem so. But let me tell you, every moment is a precious moment. Don't take for granted your youth. Don't take for granted the middle of your life and your children and your grandchildren. Realize that life's like old man river who just keeps rolling, who just keeps rolling along. And if you've been on the Mississippi, you got to know that it's a big river and those currents are constantly coming and moving you here and moving you there. And you're in whirlpools and you're drifting over to the side and all kinds of things are going on. Yeah, life's like that. Have you noticed how quickly your own life is getting by you? Just how soon things have gone past that you wouldn't have thought? Moses said in Psalm chapter 90 and verse 9, he said, we spend our years as a tale that is told. And if we had time to stop and move the microphone around the room, everybody here has a tale. We could talk about your life. You could talk about where you've been, things you've done, experiences you've had, how things have gone, the kids and all your wife and stuff like that. Man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. He cometh forth like a flower and is cut down. He fleeth also as a shadow and continueth not. Job chapter 14 verses 1 and 2. I think about these blue bonnets. We've just been through that season. And we're in a wonderful place where they grow. You can drive out here toward Brenham and out around 290 in that area. My, just fields of them. Beautiful blue and white, and sometimes those Indian paintbrushes in the middle of them, and it's just lovely. And we take our kids out there, and we like to get photos of each other and of our children and do all those things. And how long are they there? Maybe a month. And those beautiful blue bonnets soon fade away. They're such a picture of our lives. Just like this picture is talking here. Fleeth also as a shadow, like a flower, and continueth not. But what is your life? It is even as a vapor that appeareth for a little time, then vanisheth away. James 4 and verse 14. If you had the hands of Samson, you couldn't catch the fog and hold it. It gets away. That's the way life is. You try to hold on. Sometimes we men, especially we men, as we get older, we think we're still where we were 20 years ago. And we're not. We try to hold on. But you can't hold on. Ladies do it. We got some wrinkles now. We need some Botox. We're going to try to hold on to our youth. But you can do all you can and all you want to do 
and aging still takes place. And we still keep drifting along. Somehow we're on a roller coaster that we can't stop. It doesn't have any brakes to it. Winter, there's no escape. And it comes quicker than we might expect. Come before winter. I think these three words speak also of life's opportunity. Not only of its brevity, but of life's opportunity. Now you can come. Now you can act. Now you have choice. Now you can perceive Christ. Now you can make decisions. You can serve God. You can do what you want to do. And it will matter. But later it won't be true. The doors of opportunity that are open today will not stay open. They will close. You won't always have the opportunity to become a Christian. You won't always have the opportunity to do right. No, life is always, not most of the time, but always in the present tense, never in the past. You can never, never go back to yesterday and be in the past. You can think about it, but you can't go back and be there. It's over. It's forever over. And today, as much as you might like, you cannot reach into tomorrow and somehow get old over there ahead of tomorrow. No, you cannot do it. When tomorrow comes, it will be today. We're always in today. Every one of us living in today, every day, the only time you have to do anything is today. If you think you can do it yesterday, you're dreaming. If you think you can do it tomorrow, you're wishing. Yes, today is the day of opportunity. It's the day when things can be done. They never wait. Opportunities never linger. They just keep moving like Old Man River, pushing you all the way down all the time. I suspect that everyone in this room has a whole sack full of stories of opportunities. Opportunities you had that you didn't move on and they passed away. Maybe an economic opportunity to invest. Maybe an opportunity to say something right to somebody that you didn't do it. An opportunity to introduce the gospel, but you didn't do it. An opportunity to say, I love you, Dad. I love you, Mom. I appreciate what you've done for me, but you never did it. And now those doors are closed. Today, though, is full of opportunities. This day, where you are and where you are every day that you live, there are family opportunities. I suspect some of us in this room have a dear old dad our dear old mom, and they need to hear you say, I love you. They've been good to you. They've taken care of you, done a lot of things when you couldn't do it for yourself and met your needs, loved you and sacrificed for you and prayed for you. And today, you have the opportunity to say thank you. Maybe it's not a dad or a mom. Maybe it's a brother or a sister. Maybe it's a wife or a husband. Maybe it's a good friend somewhere out there. But opportunities, they're all around every day to do things that are family-oriented. Don't wait until there's an empty chair. Don't wait till you come to a Thanksgiving gathering or a Christmas gathering. And somebody who was in one of those chairs last year is no longer around. They've gone out of here. And you can't say anything anymore. You can't say thank you. You can't say I'm sorry. They're gone. There's an urgency to this. Come before winter. You need to do it now. What's Paul saying here? There are forgiveness opportunities. Harsh words. I suspect nobody in here is immune or exempt from harsh words. I think all of us have said things that we wish we hadn't. 
We've expressed opinions that we should have kept them to ourselves. We've been harsh with our kids, harsh with each other, our brothers and sisters and our parents. We've done some bad deeds. Nobody in here is immune from that either. Everybody in here has some baggage. You've got some bad deeds in your, in your record as well. Things that hurt somebody. Things that disappointed. Maybe they weren't directed at your mom and dad, but your mom and dad knew it, and it hurt them to know what you did to somebody else and the mistake you made out there. You hurt somebody. We've all hurt somebody in our life. 65 years ago, my mother was instantly killed in a car wreck. Head-on collision, rear-view mirror, not collapsible, went across here and took the side of her head right off. She was gone. I was 16. I'm the boy that was going over Fool's Hill then, you know. I'd said some things to Mom, some harsh words to her. I remember out in our garden, we had an acre garden, and we were working out in that garden. Some of my buddies were out there riding horses on the dirt road in front of our house, and I wanted to go, and she wouldn't let me go. Boy, I was so hard and harsh on her. I saw her cry. I saw her weep, break down over some words that I said. And then that January day, when I got the word that Mom was dead, Dad was right behind her, it seemed, Oh, my, I wanted to go back. I remember her funeral at Fairview Baptist Church and seeing her lying in that casket made up as much as the funeral director could make her up. And I stood in front of her casket. I said, Mother, I'm so sorry. And I wept and wept. And she never moved her lips. She could never see it and hear it. It's too late. Come before her. Somebody needs to be forgiven. You need to have, you need to go and talk to them. You need to tell them while you can. Don't think, well, I'm going to do this tomorrow because tomorrow doesn't come. Tomorrow's today. You got to do it while you can. And I suspect again in this room that there are many of us who've had some great opportunities and still do to take care of some problems that have happened and get some forgiveness done and get some wounds healed and taken care of. But we're a little proud. And it's easy to say, well, they need to come to me instead of me go to them. That's not what Jesus said. He said, if a brother has aught against you, you go to him. And if he have aught against him, you go to him. He said, puts the initiative on us to get things like this dealt with and taken care of. There are opportunities for friendships and for jobs and for ministry. My, what a day of opportunity we have. We're living in a world full of sinful people and people who are needing the Lord more than ever, and most of them don't want to hear about it. They need the gospel. Your kids need the gospel. We've seen, I've lived through a generation where we were in church, see, saw kids like these kids in our church go through our Sunday school and church and then get off into this high school and into the special university system and into work and get out of church. Somehow, while they were here, we didn't get it across. We didn't reach the hearts. We didn't turn them around inside so that they decided to do it for themselves. They just heard it. Oh, there is such an opportunity open today for reaching young people and reaching other people with the truth of the Word of God. 
getting across to them and peeling with them, talking to them, reasoning with them, sharing the word of God, the truth which is powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword that gets inside and works on hearts. I've seen it work on hearts so many times. And yet, we let the opportunities go. Sometimes needs back at their church. Thank God for Bob and Kelly back there. But there are so many needs in that sound area beyond what they are able to do. There are needs in this church. Just talk to our preacher. He knows about it and our deacons, they know about him. There are needs everywhere. Today there are opportunities to tell a person about Jesus Christ. Yeah, today. I imagine that if I went around the room not a soul in this house that doesn't know somebody who's lost. Somebody close enough to you that they would trust you. Maybe you're not real close that they would just listen to everything you have to say, but you could build that relationship and they would hear you. They're not going to hear me, a preacher, an old man. They're not going to hear Brother Darren. He's a pastor. I don't want to talk, but they're going to hear you because you're a brother. You're a sister or you're a friend at work. You have a door of opportunity. And you say, I know that, preacher. I know there are some people in my life that need to hear about Jesus Christ who wouldn't let you do it, but they would probably, if I really got around serious about it, they would let me in and share the gospel with them. But something says, wait a little while. Something says there's a little fear in here. I don't, I don't think maybe it's, we run out of time. People die. People that are available today that need to go to heaven. But somehow we're not saying much. We're not very urgent about it. And then they die and we realize, I should have gone. I heard R.G. Lee tell a story about an old Chinese fellow up in Memphis. He had been by the store of this guy many times. And he spoke to him, spoke to him. And he'd never gone in and actually sat down with him and gave him the clear plan of salvation the gospel. And uh, Brother Lee said, I determined that I was going to do that the next day. So I went over there to, to the store, and I asked where the old guy was, and one of his employees was still there and say, he not here. He go yesterday, sundown. And Brother Lee talked about what it did to his heart. To realize that he waited one day too long. The old guy died. Doubtless no, didn't know the Lord. Maybe he wouldn't have trusted Christ if Brother Lee had told him, but maybe he would have. Who knows? We don't win people we don't tell. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And today is the day. The opportunity we have to tell people, come before winter, because life is brief. Come before winter. Because we have opportunities today that we won't have tomorrow. And these three words also speak, I think, of life's necessity. Wow. Come. Isn't that a common word? Just such a common word. Noah, come into the ark. Genesis 3, or 6 and verse 18. God, come now let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. Jesus said, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, 
and I will give you rest. Cast your burden upon me. You'll find rest for your soul. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come, and the Spirit and the bride say, come. Let him that heareth, come. And let him that is a thirst, come. You hear that word? Come, come. God said, and whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. Revelation 22 and verse 17. Come, he said. Be saved today. You can come now. You can come unto me. I'm here. I'm alive. I'm always around. I'm always open for business. I'm always in the business of saving people. Come unto me, all you who labor and heavy laden. If there's a right thing to do, the right thing to do is come. It's so natural, isn't it? It's like eating a meal. It's like drinking water when you're thirsty. It's this, here we are. Our souls need salvation. And here's the Lord saying, come. It's the easy thing. It's the right thing. He said, come on. Come on all through the Bible. But it's urgent that you come before winter. Absolutely urgent. You can't be saved tomorrow. For now is the day of salvation. Today is the accepted time. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2. You may die before tomorrow. Your heart may harden. It happens. I've seen people be in church, especially young people. They get convicted. Some of them shed tears and they do some emotional things, but never in the heart get to the end of self realizing I can't be saved. I can't go to heaven until I meet this Jesus. And it's not just a trip down in front of the church. I have to come in my heart. I have to come broken. I have to come giving up on everything that I am. I have to trust Jesus and him alone because he died and was bearing raised for me. And they think about it, but they never get there. And then they get away. And some professor in the school tells them that you can't believe the Bible is really the word of God. Can't even believe there's really a God. That all these things that we see happen by an evolutionary process. And your kid buys into that. And they get hardened against the gospel. And they're no longer concerned about that I need salvation. That Jesus died for me. Hearts get hardened. People turn away from God. We get, we get brazen in our lives. It could happen. It could happen before tomorrow. So many have said later, and it turned out to be never. A lot of those people who had opportunity in church to be saved thought, I'll wait till next Sunday. But they didn't make it till next Sunday. And today there's nobody to help them, even God. They had their opportunity. And now where they are, there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. And nobody in hell is an unbeliever. They've all changed their minds and know they needed Christ. But they can't do it now. It's too late. They passed up their day of opportunity and waited till it was too late. A lot of things can change your horizon quickly. A blood clot. One little blood clot in your brain. One little artery snaps open and you bleed, and all of a sudden, you're either paralyzed or maybe you're out of here. You're driving down Loop 610 or Interstate 10 or 59, and somebody up beside you puts a gun up there and pulls the trigger and shoots you to death. Heart attacks, they happen all the time. I knew a man in Beaumont 
he was pretty uh, active, mowed his lawn. He pushed a lawn more. It was good there for him. Probably 60, around 60 years old. And one day he was mowing his lawn. Had one of those riding lawn mowers. I mean those uh, self-propelled lawn mowers. And somewhere in his yard here, he fell down. And the lawn mower kept rolling out in the street. And rolled up against the curb on the other side. And it was just running, running. They called the ambulance. Heart attack. Doctor said he was dead before he hit the ground. You say, that never happened to me. You don't know. Nobody knows. Nobody knows about tomorrow. So you're happy, and you're getting along just fine. And your old heart, such a marvelous gift from God. Pump, 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 pump. It pumps when you're awake. When you go to sleep, your heart just keeps on pumping and pumping, pumping and pumping. And you can just go to sleep on it. They get your heart pressure, your blood pressure when you go into the heart doctor or most doctors to see how it's looking and if you're high or low and that sort of thing. And here's your heart just pumping along and you've got all of these plans. You're going to do great things later. And then they call 911. And no more opportunities. You're gone. Today is the day. Come before winter. I'm asking everybody in this room to come. If you're not a saved person today, come to Christ. If you're not a member of the Lord's church today, come and get it taken care of. If you need to be baptized, come and get it taken care of. You need to tell somebody about the Lord. Make up your mind. You're going to do it. You need to talk and ask somebody for forgiveness. Do it. Maybe you need in this invitation to get out and go to somebody else in this room or turn to somebody right beside you and say, Mom, Dad, I'm sorry. Brother, sister, I haven't lived like I should have. This is the day. This is God's invitation. Would you stand? Come. Come before winter. Come today. Take care of urgent things. Don't let time rob you. Oh, God of heaven, I thank you for the opportunity to share this simple message. I pray that it worked in hearts and that people have understood it clearly and understood the urgency of the apostle's voice there in his letter to Timothy. Come. It's a message for all of us, God, not just for Timothy. This is an urgent message for all of us. God, I pray that in this invitation, you will have full control. And nobody would say, I'll wait and take my chances till next year or some next Sunday or some other time. Come now. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.